1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon and English Study Group, and we're studying Volume 9, which is titled The Six Sense Spaces. We're moving into chapters 11 through 20 today, and all of these chapters are related to the Six Sense Spaces. And the way that I do this program is I invite people who are in Zoom to read a chapter from the book. Then I will share some teachings on that chapter and then open up to any questions that you guys might have. Whether you're in Facebook, YouTube, or in Zoom, you're welcome to ask any and all questions you like by putting those into the comment section. And those of you guys that are in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So for those of you guys that are in Zoom, if you would like to read at any point, just raise your hand and I'll be able to call on you so you can unmute and then you'll be able to read the chapters for today's class. So this first chapter that we have is chapter 11. This chapter is titled, With Destruction of Excitement, the Mind is Liberated. Seeing rightly, he experiences the fading away of strong feelings. With the destruction of excitement comes the destruction of craving. With the destruction of craving comes the destruction of excitement. With the destruction of excitement and craving, the mind is said to be well liberated. Okay, so let me help you guys understand this, because sometimes when people see the Buddha teaching this type of thing, they're like, whoa, hold on a second, you know, I'm getting rid of excitement, and that's what it means to be enlightened. And people tend to misunderstand, and they associate a lack of fun with enlightenment. And this isn't true because if it was not fun to get to enlightenment and attain enlightenment, who would ever be interested in ever getting to enlightenment? Instead, what the Buddha is talking about here is conditioned, pleasant feelings, and he's using the excitement to represent those conditioned, pleasant feelings. So here he says, seeing rightly, he experiences the fading away of strong feelings. So seeing rightly is having cultivated a certain amount of wisdom. So having cultivated a certain amount of wisdom, and you train in those teachings and you train the mind you experience this diminishing of strong feelings and then as you're training your mind As you notice these conditioned, pleasant feelings arising, such as excitement, you'll notice certain bodily sensations. And what you would like to do is restrain the mind. You would like to kind of decouple the mind. The mind's wired to have conditioned feelings because of its craving, desires, attachments, that mental longing and strong eagerness, the wants, the expectations. And if you get what you want, you get these pleasant feelings. But as long as you keep allowing the mind to have those conditioned feelings and stay wired that way, then it's gonna experience these conditioned painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, and others because the mind is basing its inner feelings on some condition. So if you allow the mind to have these conditioned pleasant feelings, when those conditions change, it's only a matter of time before it ends up in the conditioned painful feelings. So when you notice that excitement is arising as a bodily sensation, it hasn't yet become a feeling, you're trying to decouple that and you're trying to get to a point where you're no longer experiencing those conditioned pleasant feelings. Max, did you have something? I see your hand, Rose.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, So we're, uh, I guess another way of looking at it is we're getting rid of uh, uh, the excitement, but we're also getting rid of um, other feelings such as anger, hatred, depression anxiety as well correct
1: yes that's exactly correct i'm sorry i thought maybe there was something wrong with the audio or something like that that's why i thought you maybe raised your hand but yes you okay. you're correct max no, that's fine. That's fine. I just usually when you guys raise your hand so early, it's something with the audio. So that's why I called on you. But there's more to explain here. But yes, you're 100% accurate in what you're describing there, Max, that by getting rid of the conditional pleasant feelings, because with the conditional pleasant feelings, the mind can only be happy or excited when these conditions are met right? Like if my mom calls me, if my kids behave, if my bank account is this, if I buy a motorcycle today, right? I know a little bit about your life, Max. If it's sunny outside, if I get to spend time with my kids, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's all these conditions and the mind might be forming its conditioned feelings based on any number of these conditions. And if we continue to allow the mind to do that, then when we don't buy a motorcycle, when our mom doesn't call us, when our bank account isn't whatever amount, $1,000 or $2,000, when it's not sunny outside, any one of those conditions that aren't true, then the mind ends up in the stress or anxiety or the sadness or anger, despair, some other discontent feeling. So you're rewiring the mind to let go of this temporary happiness this temporary excitement so that you can get to the permanent joy where this is unconditioned joy the unconditioned peacefulness and calm so when you can rewire the mind in that way then you'll experience more and more of this unconditioned joy coming through in the mind so What you're doing is you're restraining the mind. The Buddha doesn't talk about it here, but by you destroying excitement, by you destroying that bodily sensation where it's arising in the body first before it becomes a feeling, then you can actually eliminate the craving-desire attachment that's causing the discontent feelings to be formed. So by eliminating craving, desire, attachment, you're eliminating the condition that's causing these conditioned feelings. And not just the conditioned pleasant feelings, but also the conditioned painful feelings. So here the Buddha is explaining to destroy this conditioned feeling of excitement. And when you do that through cutting off and letting go of the bodily sensations, then you are also destroying the craving that actually produced it. You're like cutting back this wild bush. And then the Buddha is saying, okay, with the destruction of craving, when you destroy craving, desire, attachment, those mental longing, strong eagerness, you're eliminating the conditioned feelings. So by eliminating the conditioned pleasant feelings, you're eliminating the conditioned painful feelings. Then you can get to the unconditioned joy. And then he's saying, okay, with the destruction of excitement and craving, now the mind is said to be well liberated, meaning you're experiencing this freedom from strong feelings. You're experiencing the freedom of all those conditioned experiences. So let me see what questions you guys have about this particular chapter. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like in Zoom. Okay, so it looks like Max got his question answered there. So I'll go ahead and move to the next chapter, which is chapter 12. Here, this one is titled, Craving desire is the root of discontentedness. Whatever discontentedness arose in the past, all that arose rooted in craving desire, with craving desire as its source for craving desire is the root of discontentedness. Whatever discontentedness will arise in the future, all that will arise rooted in craving desire, with craving desire as its source, for craving desire is the root of discontentedness. Whatever discontentedness arises, all that is rooted in craving desire, has craving desire as its source, for craving desire is the root of discontentedness. So in the Four Noble Truths, the very beginning teaching of the Buddha, in order to establish right view, where you understand the problem in the unenlightened mind is discontentedness, The cause of the problem is craving, desire, attachment. The elimination of the problem is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And the path forward to completely eliminate discontentedness is the Eightfold Path. You learn that in the Four Noble Truths. So here, the Buddha is honing in on it very closely. So you can see that any discontentedness that you've experienced in the past or anybody else, all the way back to the beginning of time that any beings existed, on the face of this earth or anywhere else, any discontentedness is being caused by craving, desire, attachment. That's what the first thing is saying. Not only your discontentedness is caused by craving, desire, attachment, but everybody else's. When you see people angry or frustrated or having difficulties or so excited or elated or any of these discontent feelings, either in the past, meaning prior to right now, or any past lives, or long into the past, any of that is caused by craving, desire, attachment. And then he's saying any discontentedness in the future. So as you experience any discontentedness in the future, or anybody else experiences discontentedness, long into the future, to the end of time, that's all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. And then any discontentedness that is being experienced now in the present moment, it's all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. So those pleasant feelings, happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria, it's all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. The conditioned feelings are being caused by this craving, desire, attachment. Those painful feelings, the sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, those are all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. And then any loneliness, or boredom, or shyness, or resentment, jealousy, any of these discontent feelings, it's all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. And this is why you don't need to run out and learn 50 or 100 different meditations, because you don't need one meditation for stress, and one for loneliness, and one for sadness, and one for anxiety, because All of these discontent feelings are being caused by the same underlying thing, which is craving, desire, attachment. So that's why you use breathing mindfulness meditation to address that very directly and practicing generosity, where you're training your mind to let go, no longer holding on and clinging. This is how you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, along with all the factors on the Eightfold Path, but real directly, you're using breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity. You don't need to understand 50 or 100 different meditations because all the discontentedness is being caused by the exact same thing, craving, desire, attachment. So let me see if you guys have any questions here. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. All right. I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So what I'll do then is just move on to the next one, which is chapter 13. And remember, those of you guys in Zoom, you're welcome to read at any point by just raising your hand electronically, and you'll be able to volunteer to read if you guys would like to do that. So this one, chapter 13, is titled, What One Intends One Has a Tendency Towards. Monks. What one intends and what one desires and whatever one has an obsession towards, this becomes a basis for the maintenance of consciousness. When there is a basis, there is a support for the establishing of consciousness. When consciousness is established and has come to growth, there is the production of future renewed existence. When there is the production of future renewed existence, future birth, aging and death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the cause of this whole mass of discontentedness. So here, the Buddha is essentially using some other words to talk about craving, desire, attachment. He's talking about what one intends, what one desires, and obsession. You can notice that when the mind is craving, it's almost obsessed. It's almost like on on this cycle, this wheel just going and going and going and going. If you have a big major financial decision, if you have a big job that's coming up, if you have a certain new life partner that you just meet, you might notice that your mind is just obsessively thinking about this thing. This is what can make it very challenging for people to sleep at night because their mind is just obsessively thinking about one particular thing. And this is the craving, desire, attachment. It's like being in a cycle. So the Buddha is kind of setting up here what he's going to explain in a later discourse that we're going to study today, that it's this craving-desire attachment that is what causes the rebirth. It causes a new consciousness. So if there's craving-desire attachment in the mind, this fire is burning, then there's the maintenance of this consciousness. It continues on and on and on. So when there's a basis, there is support for establishing of a consciousness. So when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, then there's a basis for this consciousness to be reestablished in a new birth. And that's what he's describing here in this next one. When consciousness is established and has come to growth, there is the production of a future renewed existence. And now once there's a new existence, then because of the existence, there's birth, aging, death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair. Every being that's ever been born has experienced discontentedness because they're continually stuck in the cycle of rebirth. When you get to enlightenment, you've escaped that cycle of rebirth, and now for the rest of your life, you'll experience the peace and joy in the enlightened mind, and there won't be rebirth. So the same thing that leads to discontentedness is the same thing that leads to rebirth, which is craving, desire, attachment. And you're going to see it in a discourse here in a moment where the Buddha explains that very clearly. So. This is how this whole mass of discontentedness comes to be, is that it starts with craving, desire, attachment, and then it leads to continued consciousness in birth. And if there's birth, there's going to be aging and death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair. Any questions here on this chapter? You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. All right, I'm not seeing any questions there. Here's a very short chapter, chapter 14. This one is titled, Do not favor existence, not even for the lasting of a finger snap. Monks, just as even a small amount of dung has a foul smell, so likewise, I do not favor existence even for an insignificant amount of time, not even for the lasting of a finger snap. So here the Buddha is explaining that existence or birth, he doesn't find it desirable right because if you experience birth then there's going to be aging and death sorrow grief pain displeasure and despair so he's saying that the whole goal of his path is to escape this whole cycle of rebirth you can gather that through the totality of all his teachings but here he's saying it very clearly that existence means that okay there's this foul smelling dung which is feces and he's saying you know just like that small amount of dung is foul smelling existence even for an insignificant amount of time is not desirable it's not favorable it's something that an individual should be interested to escape because as long as you're in this cycle of rebirth and in existence there's going to be that aging death sorrow grief pain displeasure and despair so while you study all the different teachings of the buddha and you see that he talks about rebirth in the heavenly realm from time to time because he's explaining the natural laws of existence and if you fall short of enlightenment there is rebirth in the heavenly realm that's not the ultimate goal of these teachings and you can see that here that in the heavenly realm that is still existence so he doesn't favor existence because he knows any kind of existence means there is discontentedness So you can keep that in mind when you study certain discourses where he's talking about existence in any of the realms. That's not the ultimate goal. Even though he's explaining, if you do these types of things, you will be reborn in heaven. Or if you do these types of things, you'll be reborn in the human realm. Or if you do these types of things, you'll be reborn in all the other realms. He's just helping you understand the natural law of gamma in these natural laws of existence of cause and effect. But the ultimate goal is not to have existence. This can also help you if you've been exposed to any teachings where people think that the ultimate goal of the path to enlightenment is to be a bodhisattva. This is something that you'll see in various traditions where some people say that the whole goal is to be reborn over and over and over again and keep coming back and helping people to get to enlightenment. And this isn't the actual case. You can see here that the Buddha is not teaching anybody to come back into existence. He's teaching you to escape existence because he doesn't see existence as favorable. And in some cases, when you're talking about the bodhisattva vows and the things that people describe there, they can describe it different ways. But one of the ways that I've heard it described is people say that they're delaying their enlightenment. They're choosing not to get to enlightenment so that they can be reborn and then come back and help people get to enlightenment. But this is like trying to teach somebody how to drive a car, but yet you've never driven a car before. Would you be willing or interested to hire somebody to teach you to drive a car that has never actually driven a car? Or would you say, you know, I'm not going to ever drive a car so that I can then help other people learn how to drive a car? You wouldn't do that. If you were interested in teaching people how to drive a car, you'd probably spend 10, 15, 20 years driving a car and then you'd be a best type of teacher because you've experienced driving a car. So sometimes what people are saying is they're not going to get to enlightenment so that they can help other people get to enlightenment. But how could they help other people get to enlightenment if they can't even get to enlightenment themselves? They don't know how to get to enlightenment. So how would they ever be able to help anyone else get to enlightenment? So that whole idea of being a bodhisattva, it's not accurate. It's not true. It's a big misunderstanding of teaching and you can see some of that here in the teachings of the Buddha where he's saying the goal is not to exist in the world it's to escape this whole cycle of rebirth let me know what questions you guys have on this particular discourse you can put it into Facebook YouTube or Zoom or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like okay we have a question coming in on YouTube it says uh, thank you teacher David I have a question Is it considered selfish to want to be reborn and help others? My initial thought was, I would not like to be reborn. So if somebody's considering to not be reborn, that isn't selfish, right? Because it's kind of like, how do you help somebody get out of the quicksand? Do you jump into the quicksand and try to help them get out? Or do you stand on solid ground and reach out a hand and let them grab onto your hand and your arm, and then you pull, they pull, and then they also kick. They have to do some work to get out of the quicksand. So if you jump into the quicksand, you would be completely useless to this person. So by standing on stable ground, meaning you learn and develop the teachings in your own mind, you cultivate your wisdom, now you have wisdom to actually be able to help somebody if they are actually going to be interested in help. And this is how you can truly help someone. And that's not selfish because in my opinion, if somebody stays unenlightened, That's selfish because now when you're unenlightened, you're gonna be causing harm through your intentions, your speech, your actions, your livelihood. You're gonna be putting harm out into the world and other people are gonna have to deal with this harm. And of course, you're gonna have to deal with the results of that harm coming back to you as well. But to me, to stay unenlightened is very selfish because you're unwilling to do the work that you need to do in order to stop causing harm to others by remaining unenlightened and coming back and being reborn over and over again, you're just continuing to suffer yourself and you're continuing to cause harm to others that they now have to deal with. The most unselfish thing you could do is decide that you're going to do the work you're going to put in the time effort energy and resources that it takes to move this mind to enlightenment so that you will stop harming other beings and thus get to enlightenment and then having done so you will have cultivated the wisdom to be able to help your life partner your children your parents your siblings your friends, your coworkers, anybody around you who's interested in understanding a bit of the teachings, you'd be able to now help them as they seek guidance. So to me, that's the most unselfish thing you could do because you're doing that work on your own, and then you're available if somebody needs the wisdom of how to get to that enlightened mental state themselves. Excellent question. Uh, we have a question coming in here from Donnie. Hi, Teacher David. I'm happy to read the next chapter. Perfect, Donnie. That's, that's excellent. It looks like Francis, you have a question, or maybe you're volunteering to read a chapter.
3: I have a question, uh, to David. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me?
1: I sure can. Go ahead, sir.
3: Okay. Um, I got to understand from uh, other teachings um, a way of getting out of existence, and I mean in the cycle of the dependent origination. Uh, there's no more becoming. There is no more existence. Uh, uh, they say that you know, if let's say at the dying moments, that's very important. Uh, if you have any attachment during the dying moments, uh, that is more most likely that you will be reborn back again because you're holding on to that to something that you really wanted but didn't have, or something that is so important to you that you cannot let go. Uh, at a dying moment. Could you please uh, share your thoughts on this one? Is it true or is it something that I heard or is not a real thing? I'm not too sure. Kind uh, to share your, your wisdom.
1: Thank sure. Thank you. Sure. You're welcome, Francis. If there is any craving or clinging at the time of death, there is going to be rebirth. But the idea of potentially, you know, waiting until you're on your deathbed to try to eliminate craving desires and clinging and things like that, that's unrealistic for somebody to, you know, magically or even actively eliminate craving desire attachments at the time of death it's better to do what you guys are doing, which is you're learning, you're reflecting to independently verify the teachings, and you're practicing now so that long before you ever get to death, you've already eliminated your craving and clinging so that now you can experience whatever amount of time you have left with that peaceful and joyful mental state. So if you've done your work, you will have eliminated craving and clinging long before death. And by the time you get to your deathbed, you'll just continue to remain joyful and peaceful. Even though you're headed to death, the mind knows that you're headed to death. You could be headed to death for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and you wouldn't be sad, you wouldn't be disgruntled because you've already eliminated craving and clinging and your mind's already peaceful and joyful. So you're not going to have sorrow and grief and displeasure leading into death if you've already eliminated craving and clinging and your mind's enlightened. But if you're not enlightened, and you're headed towards death, as you get closer and closer to death, the more that you can let go of any craving and clinging, the better, it's only gonna help you in your next life because the least amount of craving and clinging you have means you're gonna have an improved rebirth in your next life and you'll have less craving and clinging to deal with in your next life. But my goal for each of the individual students who study with me and what I encourage you to do is set your goals on getting rid of craving and clinging long before death so that you can enjoy whatever amount of time you have, whether it's 60 years before death, whether it's 10 years before death, whether it's 10 minutes before death. If you can get to enlightenment, you'll enjoy the peace and joy of that enlightened mental state long before death. And then as you're headed towards death, if you haven't gotten to enlightenment, just be sure to try to clear out as many attachments as possible from the mind. Don't hold on to anything because there is the potential to get to enlightenment at death, which would be the next best ideal thing because at least you're not going to be reborn but you spent your life being agitated and annoyed and irritated and all those other discontent feelings but at least you're not going to have a new existence you're welcome francis pleased to help you okay let me see if we have any other questions here all right we don't have any other questions so donnie if you'd like to read this next chapter feel free
4: reading is the fuel for of rebirth i declare vacha rebirth for one with fuel not for one without fuel just as a fire burns with fuel but not without fuel so vacha i declare rebirth for one we feel not for one without fuel master gotama when a flame is flung by the wind and goes some distance what does master gotama declare to be its fuel on that occasion when vacha a flame is flung by the wind and goes some distance. I declare that it is filled by the wind. For on that occasion, the wind is its fuel. And Master Gautama, when a being has laid down his body but has not yet been reborn in another body, what does Master Gotama declare to be its fuel on that occasion? When Vacha, a being has laid down this body but has not yet been reborn in another body, I declare that it is filled by craving. on that occasion, craving is its
1: fuel. All right. Thank you, Donnie. So here the Buddha just says it very clearly and very straightforward that it's craving that is the fuel that causes rebirth. And if there's fuel, then there's going to be rebirth. If there's craving, there's going to be rebirth. So rebirth is for one that has fuel. Well, what's fuel? The fuel is the craving, desire, attachment. And then not for one without fuel. So if you don't have craving, desire, attachment in the mind, there is no rebirth, and this is very clear, very straightforward, and then he gives this analogy to be able to help you understand it, and I think it's a really helpful analogy to understand the whole cycle of rebirth, that if you think about a fire, and you're putting on logs onto the fire, and these logs are the fuel that's fueling the fire, those logs, those fuel of the logs, they're sending off sparks into the air, and now the wind is gonna carry that spark and keep it lit, and then it's going to land on the ground, and now it's going to start a new fire. And the same thing is true with craving, desire, attachment, that once you've laid down the body, if there's craving in the mind, that's the fuel that is now going to spark the new consciousness. And now this new consciousness is created, and now there's going to be continuous rebirth from there because as long as you have craving, there's going to be rebirth. So you would like to extinguish all craving, and you can see that you're doing that in this life. Because if you implement the teachings of the Eightfold Path to include meditation, generosity, and all the other teachings the Buddha shares, you can see your discontent feelings diminishing slowly but surely. You can see that your mind is not as angry and frustrated and irritated as it might have once been, particularly by the time you get to that first stage of enlightenment, you've had a significant diminishing of your strong feelings. And now as you make your way to enlightenment, you'll completely eliminate all discontentedness and you'll know you have done that because it will have been one year, two years, three years, and there's no discontentedness that's arising. And you'll also know at that same time is not only have you eliminated discontentedness and attained enlightenment, but you'll never experience experience rebirth ever again, because you've eliminated the fuel that causes that rebirth. And you'll be able to observe that through your own mind, because there'll be nothing but peace and joy in the mind. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? All right, I'm not seeing any questions here. So let's move to the next one. As you guys see, there's plenty of words here that you guys can read in these books to help you So this is chapter 16, and those of you guys in Zoom, you're welcome to volunteer at any point. Just raise your hand electronically, and I'll know that you'd like to read. So here the title is, With Gratification, Craving Increases. Suppose, monks, a great bonfire was burning, consuming 10, 20, 30, or 40 loads of wood, and a man would cast dry grass, dry cow dung, and dry wood into it from time to time. Thus, sustained by that material, fueled by it, that great bonfire would burn for a very long time. So too, when one lives reflecting on gratification in things that can be clung to, craving increases. With craving as condition, clinging comes to be. With clinging as condition, existence. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the cause of this whole mass of discontentedness. So once again, the Buddha is using this analogy of the fire in the mind, right? This craving, this anger, this ignorance, we refer to as the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, also referred to as the three fires. And what you're doing is you're working to extinguish these through the Eightfold Path and training the mind on the path to enlightenment. And one of the things the Buddha is describing here is about this gratification, that when you reflect on gratification, that this is going to, Cause the craving to grow and increase. So let me give you some examples so that you can understand this. Say at one time you were a quite wealthy person and then now you don't have much money. You're, you kind of have very basic resources that you need in order to sustain life. But at one time you had all the greatest clothing and shoes and cars and food and houses and all kinds of amazing things. And you had all these resources available to you and you took pleasure in all these different Different things. Well, now when you have less resources, if you sit there and you kind of feed on that and you kind of feed the mind about all these pleasant things that you once had, you're feeding the mind that gratification. And now the craving for those things can grow. Right. Or let's just use another example. At one time, I was getting rid of coffee as part of my practice because I knew that the caffeine wasn't good for the mind. So as I was letting go of coffee, if you allow the mind to take gratification and like, oh, that milky flavor, that sugary flavor, all the smell and aroma of the espresso or the cappuccino or whatever, or the sound of that machine in the coffee shop, and you just kind of like reminisce in the mind about those gratifying things, now the craving for those things will increase. And you can use example after example, whether it's whether you used to use drugs and alcohol and maybe you think back to all those different times where you were with your buddies or with your girlfriends or boyfriends, hanging out, drinking alcohol, you know, laughing it up and all kinds of hilarious things occurring. If you feed the mind that gratification and continue to stay clinging to it, it's just gonna allow the craving to continue to increase. So when you're noticing these thoughts coming up from the past where these are things that you're choosing to let go of, you need to be able to cut that off and let it go. Don't feed the mind this gratification. Don't allow the mind to dwell in those gratifying feelings from the past. Whether you're just walking down the street, whether you're driving a car, whether you're in the shower and these thoughts come to your mind, all this gratification, you would like to cut it off and let it go and don't feed the craving because then the craving is just going to expand and increase and then you're more likely to pursue those cravings and latch on to them. So you need to get those completely out of the mind. But as your cravings are diminishing, you'll tend to have these thoughts of the past things that you experienced and those gratifying experiences we tend to remember those gratifying experiences, and we don't tend to remember the heartache and the misery. So if you ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend in the past, and you guys had all kinds of wonderful gratification, maybe going out to the movies or dinner or spending time talking in great conversations, maybe you had sexual contact but also, at some point, you guys had bitter arguments and disagreements and you know, maybe even throwing things around the house and slamming doors, perhaps, or things like this. What the mind tends to do when it's letting go of its craving and clinging, it tends to think about all those wonderful, gratifying things. You don't think about the heartache and the misery. So you need to be able to cut off and let go of the mind feeding that craving by not allowing the mind to dwell in that gratification. And that's what will allow you to fully eliminate the craving and the clinging that the mind's doing. Because if you allow the mind to continue to crave and cling, like what the Buddha is describing here, which is kind of the last part of dependent origination, if you allow the mind to continue to crave and cling, it's going to lead to birth. And eventually, it's going to lead to, once again, renewed existence, aging, death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair. So the longer you allow your mind to dwell in that gratification, the cravings just increase. It's harder to get rid of the cravings. It's more challenging to get to enlightenment. And now you have the potential to be reborn if you die with craving in the mind. So you would like to cut out any kind of dwelling and gratification On anything that the mind is dwelling on here the word reflecting is being used but you can also think about that as dwelling in gratification any questions on this particular chapter all right I'm not seeing any questions here so move on to the next one which is chapter 17 this one is titled craving is the basis for coming and going which is the cause of discontentedness. Looks like Danny would like to read this one. Go ahead, sir. Monks,
4: what one intends and what one desires and whatever one has an obsession towards, this becomes a basis for the maintenance of consciousness. When there is a basis, there's a support for the establishing of consciousness. When consciousness is established and has come to growth, there's impulse. When there's impulse, there is coming and going. When there is coming and going, there is passing away and being reborn. When there's passing away and being reborn, future birth, aging and death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the cause of this whole mess of discontentedness. If, monks, one does not intend and one does not desire, but one still has an obsession towards something, this becomes a basis for the maintenance of consciousness. When there is a basis, there is a support for the establishing of consciousness. When consciousness is established and has come to growth, there is impulse. When there is impulse, there is coming and going. When there is coming and going, there is passing away and being reborn. When there is passing away and being reborn, future birth, aging and death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure and despair come to be. Such is the cause of this whole mess of discontentedness.
1: Okay, thank you, Donnie so here the buddha is using some other words for craving desire attachment he's using this word impulse right because if you've ever done things on impulse that's the craving desire attachment like say you're at the store and you're walking into the store and your goal is to just buy one particular product but you're walking past all these different items and you have this impulsive desire to latch on to a whole bunch of different things and buy all these different things because the mind's just grabbing and grasping so that's another word for craving desire attachment is this word impulse and even this word obsession is another way to think about that same aspect of the mind this is all what's causing the consciousness to be maintained and continue this is what's leading to continuous rebirth and when there's impulse in the mind then there's this coming and going. What the Buddha means by this is if you've ever been in a situation where you've gone somewhere, and then whether it's vacation, whether it's to your friend's house or to a restaurant or whatever, and you just feel kind of antsy, you just feel like, gosh, I, you know, I, I'm not content here just being in this one spot. It's like the mind always wants something else. It's like the grass is always greener on the other side. So when there's impulse, when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, there's this constant coming and going where you can't be content in the present moment just with whatever happening is happening. You feel like almost you need to always be on the go. If you've been like, go, 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 go in your life, this is the mind having craving. It's just never content to be restful and relaxed in the present moment. So when you eliminate impulse, when you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, you eliminate this coming and going. But as long as there's this craving and desire, this impulse in the mind, there's going to be this continuous coming and going where you're not content in the present moment. And that's where there's going to ultimately be rebirth, which is the Buddha's talking about here. So when you eliminate this coming and going, then there is going to be no rebirth and it's important to start associating other words besides just craving desire attachment which are the ones i tend to focus on as a student's first getting started But as you start to expand your understanding and deepen your understanding of craving, desire, attachment, you can see these impulses. Sometimes they can be really strong. Sometimes they can be very subtle. And when you notice those, you'd like to cut them off and let them go. Eliminate them. Don't allow the mind to do that. Because as long as you allow the mind to be wired that way, it's going to continue to do that. You're trying to decouple that and break through it so that you're rewiring the mind. And you can just choose to make wise decisions based on what you need in life rather than what you want and what the mind's chasing, then you can get to a point where you can just be content in the present moment. And there's not this constant coming and going where you feel like you can't ever be content in the present moment, wherever you're at and what you're doing at this particular moment. And meditation is helping you to do this, like to be sitting somewhere or lying or standing or doing walking meditation for 30 minutes, two or three times a day. You get really used to just being content in the present moment that all you do is just focus on the breath and you can be content and peaceful in that moment so now when you go outside and you see the sunshine the winds blowing the birds are chirping you're maybe walking down the street with your family or something like this wow this is so wonderful right if you can train your mind to be peaceful and joyful just focused on the breath and that's it and you don't need anything else when you're out there actually doing stuff with your family and with other people it's like wow this is all just a bonus because you've gotten to the point where you're just completely peaceful and content and calm and joyful in the present moment focused on the breath so now all these other things that you do in your life whether it's going to work whether it's staying at home with your family going to the movies going to the mall going out to a restaurant with your family wow this is just all a bonus so you can get to that point where you don't feel like you have to constantly be coming and going you can be content in the present moment so let me know what questions you guys have here Remember, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand and Zoom and ask any questions that you like. So it looks like Francis has a question here. Do you have any teaching on walking meditation? Yes. I teach this in the various courses and retreats that I teach, and I've done a video on it. If you go to our YouTube channel and you type walking meditation in the search for our YouTube channel, it should be the first video that comes up. I'm going to be teaching a course and a retreat coming up in January that I'm going to be doing here in Chiang Mai, but I'm live streaming these. I'm teaching courses all the time here in Chiang Mai, usually one or two weeks per month. I'm teaching a a five-day course or a retreat. Some people might call it a retreat. I'm teaching those all the time, every single month, but the ones in January, I'm gonna be live streaming. And I've got it set up where I can have a student follow me around with a camera, And I'll be able to teach walking meditation live in January. But in the meantime, you've got the video to watch that you could learn that way as well. And you guys are always welcome to come here and learn in Chiang Mai as well. Because at the temple, we have courses and different retreats happening all the time here. And you can find all that information on our website at buddhadailywisdom.com. Oh, Max put in the, the link there for you, Francis. Very kind of you, Max. All right. So I'm not seeing any questions here on this chapter. I'll move on to chapter 18. All right, go ahead, Donnie, if you'd like to read this one.
4: The end of coming and going. For him who clings here is wavering. For him who does not cling, there is no wavering. Having eliminated wavering, there is calm. Calm being present, there is no bending. Having eliminated bending, there is no coming and going to birth. Having eliminated coming and going, There is no death and reborn. Having eliminated death and rebirth, there is no here or there, no anything between the two. This indeed is the end of discontentedness.
1: Okay, thank you, Dani. So here, the Buddha is talking about this wavering. What he's talking about here is in your decision-making, that when you cling, there's going to be wavering. That you make a decision and you start walking down the road with that decision, but then you're clinging, so you go back to an old decision or revert back to an old decision. So let me give you an example. Say you were in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend And you guys decided that you're going to end the relationship. And now you decide to move on. And now as you're moving on, your mind kind of wavers. At one time, you realize it was a wise decision to move on. But now as you're moving on, because the mind is still clinging to that partner, you might try to revert back to that partner and try to get back in with that partner because your mind's still clinging. So your mind is going to waver. The same thing with like when I was getting rid of coffee or maybe when you're getting rid of alcohol or some other drug, you might have made a wise decision, you start walking forward away from that particular craving or clinging. And then as you make your way down that path to start getting away from that craving or clinging, the mind is still clinging. So your mind wavers and now you go back to a decision that you once realized was unwise. But because your mind wasn't fully set in its understanding and its decision, and it still has clinging, you're kind of holding on to that decision from the past and now you revert back to it. But for one who does not cling, there is no wavering. Because when your mind is stuck like that and you're trying to go forward, but yet you keep reverting backwards to this ex-boyfriend or this ex-girlfriend or maybe if you're trying to get away from drugs or alcohol and you relapse and keep going back to it or something this is very difficult for one to experience that constant walking forward you know three steps forward five steps back you know 10 steps forward 20 steps back kind of thing and it really hinders you from having forward progress in your life so understanding that what you would like to do as you make your way closer closer to enlightenment is any decisions that you make, no matter what they are in your life, is you would like to really think them through. Take in all the variables, take in all the information of what it is that you're going to need to make a decision about, and then get very confident in that decision. Make your decision and walk forward. Don't look back right? Because you've now made the decision and it was wise for you to walk forward. If you're in the process of making this decision and you're collecting up information and you need to talk to your Buddhist teacher and get help, you can share with me, hey, I've got this major decision. Here's some of the variables. Here's some of the information. Here's what I'm thinking. You know what is the natural law of gamma or what are the buddhist teachings on this so you might talk to your buddhist teacher you might talk to your life partner you might talk to your friends or your parents or your brothers or your sisters and now as you fully take in all the information you make your decision and you walk forward and you realize that like, okay i'm not going to cling to this thing but now as you're walking forward if you receive new information that's going to update your decision because there can be impermanence as you make your decision you maybe have collected up that information you've made your decision you're walking forward maybe you're a couple of weeks or a couple of months into that decision and now you get updated information so now you don't cling to your decision from the past you update your decision and you now improve your decision-making. So this is how you ensure you're not wavering is by eliminating clinging. Because if your mind wavers back and forth, you'll make it very difficult for you to make forward progress in life. So when you eliminate this wavering through eliminating clinging, by eliminating clinging, you eliminate the wavering. So by eliminating the wavering, then the mind can be calm. Because when your mind is wavering, like I mentioned, it's, it's very problematic in the mind. You're just constantly waffling back and forth. The mind can't be calm. When the mind's calm in the present moment, then there's no bending. What the Buddha's talking about here is going opposite of the path to enlightenment. So using that example of drugs and alcohol, if say you're using drugs and alcohol, and now you've made a decision to walk forward, and now you're walking forward for two or three or four or five, six months, and now because of the clinging, the mind goes back to the alcohol, right? Because of the clinging, because of the wavering, because of the lack of calmness, there's now bending, that you're no longer practicing the path to enlightenment, and you're not making this clear direct progress towards the enlightened mental state because of this wavering and because of this clinging that's what's causing you to now bend and not make this straight direction towards enlightenment so having eliminated bending where you're not going opposite of the path to enlightenment, now there's no coming and going, meaning there isn't this continuous rebirth over and over and over and over again, that you're not going to be experiencing that. And when there's no rebirth, then there isn't this death, there isn't the continuous discontentedness that is experienced. So when you eliminate the clinging, which the Buddha is a a master of showing this cause and effect, when you eliminate clinging, then there's no wavering. When you eliminate wavering, then there's this calm in the mind. When there's this calm, then there's this no bending. You're not bending the path and the guidance that he's providing you. You're not bending around that. You're walking the straight path. When there's no bending, then there's no coming and going because you would have gotten to enlightenment. There's no more rebirth. So having eliminated rebirth, there's no more death. There's no more rebirth. And then what the Buddha is saying is there's neither here nor there nor anything between the two, meaning you're just content in the present moment because you've eliminated death. You've eliminated rebirth. All there is is the present moment. You'll have memories of the past you'll know that there is a future but the mind will just be firmly rooted in the present moment and you're just making decisions in the present moment and one decision after another leads to continuous improvements in your life because by the time you've gotten to enlightenment you've got full wisdom of the path to enlightenment. You no longer experience discontentedness and every single decision you make is wise and it leads to wholesome outcomes. You're no longer experiencing any unwholesomeness. And that's why the Buddha says this indeed is the end of discontentedness because you've now eliminated clinging, which eliminates all these other things that one would be experiencing. Thus discontentedness is eliminated. So what questions do you guys have on this chapter? Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So we'll move on to the next chapter. Uh, Max, are you going to? Is that for reading or is that a question?
2: Uh, I can read, sir.
1: Oh, perfect. So this is chapter 19.
2: Uh, excitement is clinging. One with clinging is not liberated. Here, monks, one seeks excitement in form, welcomes it, and remains holding to it. As a consequence of this, excitement arises. Excitement and form is clinging. One seeks excitement and feeling. Welcomes it and remains holding to it. As a consequence of this excitement arises. Excitement and feeling is clinging. One seeks excitement and perception, welcomes it and remains holding to it. As a consequence of this excitement arises, excitement and perception is clinging. One seeks Excitement in volitional formations, choices, decisions, welcomes it and remains holding to it. As a consequence of this, excitement arises. Excitement in volitional formations is clinging. One seeks excitement in consciousness, welcomes it and remains holding to it. As a consequence of this, excitement arises. Excitement is a consequence er, is a... Consciousness, sorry, let me start over. Excitement is con- in, excitement in consciousness is clinging. With one's clinging as condition, ex- existence comes to be. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure and despair come to be. Such is the cause of this whole mass of discontentedness
1: okay thank you max so here the buddha is talking about clinging to the five aggregates they're also referred to as collections or elements these are the things that make a living being a living being And you would need to know the five aggregates in order to practice the first precept of living compassionately for the welfare of all living beings. But also, you need to know the five aggregates because these are the things that you have here, and if you cling to any of these, then the mind is not yet liberated, and you're going to experience discontentedness and rebirth. So oftentimes when people are learning about craving and clinging, they start to understand like material objects. And it's not the object itself that is the craving or the clinging, it's what's going on in the mind. But it's pretty readily understood as you get going on the path to enlightenment that you know you could be attached to your computer, clinging to your computer. You can crave or cling or be attached to your life partner or your child or your car or your job or any number of these things it's not the object itself that is the issue, it's the way the mind's craving and clinging to it. So these things become pretty apparent in your journey to enlightenment that you need to eliminate your craving and clinging. You don't need to eliminate the object, you need to eliminate the craving and clinging for the object. Well, there's these other objects that the Buddha's pointing out to you that your mind can actually cling to, which is form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. These are referred to as the five aggregates or five collections or five elements. What it's referring to is this physical form that you have. This physical form is the physical body. If you are clinging to this physical form, you're wanting it to be permanent. So now when you see a wrinkle, Or you see a pimple or a mole or gray hair or you start losing your hair or you get a little bit of fat in certain places. Now your mind's going to be discontent because your mind's clinging to a certain appearance and you're wanting that to be permanent. And when you start seeing things change, now your mind is going to experience this discontentedness. So if you get excited with this physical form, like say you go to the gym and you've been working out a lot and yeah, maybe the body is looking better than it once did. If you allow the mind to be excited about that, having conditional excitement, that physical appearance in the gym, it's not permanent. That as you age, that's going to fade away over time. So If you allow the mind to get excited based on the condition of this physical form looking a certain way, maybe youthful and very athletic, as you age, you'll experience painful feelings. So the Buddha is explaining to you to not welcome and remain holding on to this physical form because once excitement arises, now you're clinging to your physical form and it's only a matter of time before you experience painful feelings. The same thing is true with not only form, but the feelings as well. These are the pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neither painful nor pleasant. If you've ever had certain pleasant feelings and you cling to those feelings, maybe something's happened in the past. Maybe when you were in high school, you were like very popular and people knew you a lot and you got all these pleasant feelings. Or maybe a certain boyfriend or girlfriend that you had, maybe you got all these pleasant feelings. And now if you cling to those pleasant feelings and you get excited when those pleasant feelings are in the mind, now those pleasant feelings of conditioned excitement, it's not permanent. So now when your mind moves to sadness, you'll be even more sad. Or another example, is someone can cling to the painful feelings. Say somebody dies in your family and now you're sad and you're grieving. Some people cling to those painful feelings because they think if they let go of those painful feelings, it's like letting go of grandma. And they think that their love is what's causing these sadness or this painful feelings or this grief. And they feel like if they let go of the painful feelings, they're letting go of the love. But this is just the misunderstanding and the ignorance of the mind that it's not the love that's causing the grief and the misery when grandma or other people die. Instead, it's the craving, desire, attachment, wanting grandma to be permanent. So you can let go of those painful feelings and not cling to either pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. And your mind will be liberated from these conditioned feelings. And the same thing is true about perceptions. What your perceptions are is the way that you view the world, the way that you're certain have views, certain opinions, certain assumptions that you make about the world. You look out at the world and you have a certain perception about other people or about your job or your boss or the country you live in or your president or prime minister or different people around you. You might have certain perceptions about people around you. You shouldn't ever cling to your perceptions. The Buddha teaches you to always work towards the truth and discovering what the truth is. But if you cling to your perceptions of how the world seems to be, then you can't actually see the way the world actually is. And if you take excitement in your perceptions, so perhaps you are really excited about your political affiliation or something like that, or, or some perception of something that's going on in the world, you have a certain clinging to this. Now, you might be very argumentative towards other people because of clinging to this perception. So by allowing your mind to get excited by certain perceptions that you have and cling to that, perception now you're going to experience those conditioned pleasant feelings and then the mind's going to move to these painful feelings as well because at some point you might realize your perception was false and it was just an assumption and now when you realize that your perception was false you'll end up in these painful feelings so it's not wise to cling to perceptions Then he's talking here about volitional formations, which are your choices and decisions. Same thing, you're not interested in clinging to these. Any decisions that you make, if you cling to them, it's only going to cause discontentedness in the mind. Here's an example. Say like right now you decide you would like to travel to Australia for your holiday, and that holiday is about six months from now. If you're clinging to this decision that you really want to travel to Australia, and now you've put all this time and effort in your planning and developing this trip, and as you get closer and closer and closer, now something like COVID happens, or maybe there's an airline strike or something like this and you can't travel. You're gonna feel very sad because you're not clinging to this choice and decision. You got so excited about going to Australia that now when something happens and the plans change, now you're gonna be very sad and feeling miserable because of that. Or if you cling to a certain decision, say, you send your child to a certain school and you really get excited about this school that you've sent them to. And now you've sent them to the school and then they're there for a year or two or three. And you start learning these unfortunate things that are happening at the school. Well, if you cling to your decision and you get all excited about having sent your kid to this one particular school, when you start hearing all these unfortunate things that are occurring, you might feel very sad or miserable that these things are now occurring. And you might hesitate to remove your child from that school and put them in a better school that would be better for them so it's unwise to cling to your volitional formations your choices and decisions instead you make a decision that is wise based on all the information that you have at the current time and then you put that decision into the world and then you see the results because the natural law of gamma is the very best, most unbiased teacher, if you experience any kind of unwholesome results coming back to you, then you can see that there were some unwise decisions that you made, and now gaining more wisdom you can make wiser decisions in the future but if you put a decision out into the world and you're experiencing wholesome results you can see that it was a wise decision but still don't even cling to that because you can enhance that decision and make it better and improve upon it so don't cling to any decisions that you make as you experience impermanence and new information and new variables are coming to you about any particular decision that you are have made, that you're thinking about making, or that you will make in the future, update your decision so that now you can implement the very wisest decision in that particular situation. And then the same thing with the consciousness. The mind can cling to certain identity in the mind or certain things that are in the mind. If you cling to the consciousness and what's going on in the mind and you get really excited about it. Now the mind's going to end up in these painful feelings. And as long as the mind's clinging to any of these five aggregates, either form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, or consciousness, then as long as there's clinging, there's going to be rebirth because you haven't dismantled dependent origination. There's still craving and clinging in the mind. So it's going to lead to birth, aging, sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair so while it's really obvious to kind of look around you and kind of physical objects external things it's obvious not to cling to those These things that the Buddha is talking about are more internal for each individual being. The physical form, the physical body, the feelings that you experience, the certain perceptions that you have, the choices and decisions or volitional formations, and the consciousness itself. This is what makes a living being a living being, and you're not interested in clinging to any of that stuff. So there's clinging to the physical form, right, where you're just craving and longing and yearning, wanting the physical body to... Be looking a certain way, and you get so excited when you get more muscles, that would be unwise. But then there's also this indifference, right? Where the mind just doesn't care, and you're not eating healthy, you're not even doing a little bit of exercise to maintain your health. Maybe someone's not brushing their teeth or taking showers. That would be unwise, too, to not attend to your personal hygiene. So, what you'd like to do is come to this middle way where you understand that there's a certain goal, a certain objective, a certain interest that you would like to maintain the health of this physical body in this physical form, but don't cling to it and understand that it will age, that it will be subjected to impermanence and it's continuing to deteriorate over time, but you're trying to make wise decisions to maintain this physical body. So you're not interested in living in the craving and clinging, but you're not interested in living in this indifference where you do nothing to take care of the physical body either and you find this middle way and you walk towards that with every single aspect of your life. So here, this is ensuring that you're understanding these five aggregates and that you shouldn't cling to any of them because it's going to only lead to discontentedness and rebirth. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? Okay, I'm not seeing any questions there. So we go to chapter 20, which this is the last chapter of today's reading. This is the Eightfold Path. And we come across the Eightfold Path from time to time in this entire book series. It's volume one, chapter five, where I go through in detail what the Eightfold Path is. And I teach it very thoroughly in the group learning programs and the foundational courses, retreats, and things like that. And typically when I get to the Eightfold Path in this book series and the other volumes, I just see if you guys have any questions. Rather than reading through it and teaching it to you, I just open up to any questions because a student who's studied with me would have already learned in those foundational programs and in the very first volume the eightfold path and for me to teach this from beginning to end it takes a good two and a half hours to teach it it takes me a good 45 minutes to an hour just to teach right view and then kind of another hour and a half to teach all the other steps thoroughly in the way that the buddha taught them so if you guys have any questions on your eightfold path because you're always looking to dial that in closer and closer and you're looking to revisit this over time as you're developing your life practice. If you've learned it like in the group learning program or any of the foundational courses and retreats that I teach, you might have learned it there, but you're gonna need to revisit it at different times to dial it in closer and closer. So this is one of those opportunities for you to get any questions asked and answered that you would like around the Eightfold Path. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions on the Eightfold Path. So what I'll do then is just in class by thanking all of you guys for joining. This is the volume nine, the Sixth Sense Bases, chapters 11 through 20 and next week we're gonna be doing chapters 21 through 30. And if you're reading these books either before class or after class, you're gonna get a lot more value because you'll see the words of the Buddha, you'll see the reference back to the original source text, and you'll see the words that I'm sharing to be able to help you further understand and reflect on what it is that the is teaching. And that's where you'll really gain the most insight because in these classes I can't teach to the same level of detail as I put into these books. So you can download these from buddhadailywisdom.com. You can take them and go print them, or you can order them on Amazon and have them shipped to wherever you're at if you'd like the printed copies. And next week, we're going to be doing chapters 21 through 30. And then tomorrow in our group learning program, we're going to be in volume one, chapter six, which is the middle way, walking the middle way. This is a very simple, very straightforward teaching, but when you understand it, it's actually very powerful, very potent. It'll take me just a short time to actually teach it to you, and then we'll use some different examples to apply it to your life so you can see how impactful it can be once you understand this very simple teaching. Then on Wednesday, I'll be in the third part of a four-part series on Buddhist chanting. You're always welcome to attend any of these classes live or listen to them on the replay through Facebook, YouTube, or our podcast. Thank you to those of you guys that read. Thank you for all your questions in the class. And we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast.